0: Tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. Listeners, and welcome back to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. This is episode 25 of a series of shows that is covering the books that sprung forth from the 1997 fifth week event that introduced the Tangent Universe, a place occupied by heroes with very familiar names, but very different origins. And this time out, we're continuing our look at the 2008 follow-up to the second run of Tangent books, the Dan Jurgens, Ron Mars penned Superman Tangent. Or sorry tangent superman's reign number six after last issue's capture of the many heroes from earth one by the tangent superman and power girl earth one batman is tasked to find a way to free his teammates and possibly take down the tangent superman but before we get into the book let me do some instructions my name is sean Ingle, and i'm joined as always by my co-host and good friend mr michael bradley how's it going michael
1: hey everybody pretty good how are you
0: I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to getting into this book. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing where things go. And I'm also looking forward to some uh, comments from our listeners. Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you want to go ahead and jump into those? Sure. Okay. Uh, Do you want to do email first? Uh, Gene Hendricks? Yes. Okay. I will go ahead with Gene Hendricks.
1: we, we, We didn't read an email from Gene last episode. Which I yeah. think is the first.
0: Well, I think I think, you know, we'll we'll double up this time because yeah. we had a lot of feedback last time. And everyone, thank you for writing in the show. We yes. love to read your comments in the show. And like we've always said, getting getting comments website and email and iTunes reviews is always always a great thing. It it makes this doing the show so so rewarding so thank you everyone for writing in but of course our first email this time out is from gene hendricks he is the host of the hammer strikes podcast the quantum cast anime freaks and uh comic book fight club over at two true freaks he writes in with the uh with the heading superman's reign number two he says michael and sean okay that was an adventure just getting this episode i guess this was the one where we kind of had
1: some Technical difficulties, yeah.
0: Okay, well, I'm glad that that got worked out.
1: Red, Red Michael didn't update the RSS feed properly.
0: Oops. He said, Nightwing really doesn't watch your show out there, does it? No. Well, thankfully, uh, Nightwing has been taken down by the tangent Superman, so we don't have to worry about them. He says, this issue sounds like a great progression from the first one, proving that Dan Jergens is one of the great storytellers. Amen to that. My one question, though, is doesn't Wally have to be in our dimension to use his super speed? Maybe it was the Earth 2 graphic novel or JLA Avengers, but I could have sworn that the Speed Force didn't cross dimensions, meaning that Wally couldn't either. Not that it really matters, but I'm a nitpicking nerd, so continuity is important to me. Uh, had you heard anything about that, that the Speed Force only occupied his, uh, what could only be used in the, uh, earth one universe
1: now that he mentions it it does sound familiar Hmm. but we could no prize it and say that if it it did come up in either the earth two graphic novel or jla avengers both of those were pre-infinite crisis so maybe post-infinite crisis that's no longer the thing
0: that could be it that the the whole infinite crisis thing and the knocking down of Of the barriers between the multiverses kind of uh, caused that to be null and void. So I guess that works. Uh, Gene continues, I think this conclusively proves that we had three women sharing the identity of the Joker as opposed to one woman with multiple identities, as I believe it was shown in the first wave. Yet another question answered. I'm interested in how they're going to handle Batman meeting Jason Blood. I mean, (laughs) a tangent Batman, if it happens at all well, I guess you'll find out how that happens at mm-hmm. uh, this issue. And that, of course, was from Gene Hendricks, Gene Gene, the podcast machine. <laughs> that's that's what we affectionately call him over at the Two Freaks Weapons.
1: Well, so. as many podcasts as he does, he he has to be a machine to uh, get def- all those out on time. So, oh, definitely. Uh, we also got a website comment from frequent writer J Dean, and this was for episode 21, where we covered uh, I guess that was Superman's Reign number one. Or mm-hmm.
0: two? Okay, 20 had to be Superman's reign number one because 19 was the interstitial. So this has to okay. be – Okay,
1: this is 21, so it would have been issue number two. Yes. Right, okay. But J. Dean writes, This is a problem I have as an avid listener of the podcast, but also as someone who who's read this crossover back-to-back. I know all the answers. Hearing you guys make extremely good questions and theories just makes me even sadder, given that I have to hold back from spoiling most things – just so I can hear your genuine opinions on the later issues. Michael is correct about Leah's age though. Since it's been ten years, everyone's pretty much aged accordingly. Spectre with that scar on his face while looking weathered slash old, a very stark contrast for me, in my opinion. Then Lori Lamaris and Hex himself. Hex with long hair is both cool and hilarious. I believe it was I believe it was in this issue too where, interestingly enough, Mary Marvel slash the Joker makes the comment on that comment that to her, Leah hasn't changed a bit physically. At least I understood she meant it based on her appearance. You could say that since she died a long time ago, Leah looks the way she did before, but that would contradict the way that the lantern worked in the original canon. I'm babbling. I always babble when Leah's involved. This may be my favorite episode of season three so far. Can't wait to hear the rest as they come out. And then she left a second comment, um, adding to my adding to my original comment because I forgot to write it originally, Jamal Eichel's work on this is amazing, and he should have stayed as artist until the end. Enough said.
0: Well, I, you know, I I'm glad that you're holding back on your comments. Uh, hopefully, we're not going to have the same opinion of this that that it does, you know, turn down at the end because so far. It's it's been a pleasurable read. Mm-hmm. It's been significantly more enjoyable than a lot of the current stuff that I've been reading. So, yeah. um, you know, not to put a put too fine a point on it, but um, I, I can't I can't disagree with their stuff. You know, they're they're. I think we kind of did we kind of no prize the the reason Leah hasn't aged to be the fact that you know she is a being made of light and right. she could she could sort of let herself stay at this certain visually looking age level even though she matures because she's never seemed she does seem in the book to be somewhat youthful but she seems to be a bit knowledgeable a bit more knowledgeable in the way she handles herself so maybe she's aged mentally but she's just because she's made of light she's kept her physical form looking the same
1: right because like in those original issues we saw her uh, I don't know. I don't know if shape shifting is the right word, but you know, she turned into like a teddy bear and a monkey and a, a giant version of herself that looked like a balloon and stuff. So, if yeah. she can do that, I don't know why she couldn't make herself look like she's 21 years old for her entire life, even though she is mentally and, and maybe even physically aging. You know. Yes.
0: No, well, I, I agree. I,
1: yep. And I, you know. Talking about the story, maybe going downhill. You know, we are going to get a different artist um, after this is, after this issue, but Jamal Igle has done incredible work, and I I am going to be sad to see him go as well.
0: Yeah, it, I I do agree. I, we had a lot of praise for Jamal Igle, especially on a couple of panels in the last issue, and hopefully, the the person who steps in for Igle will will be up to the task of drawing these characters. You you know, I'm going to keep an open mind, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's going to, you can't imagine that it's going to be anything but a minor step down just because Jamal Eigel's work has been so good throughout the book. Right.
1: And I can't remember who the next artist is. Um, I, I, have no memory of who that is. So
0: we'll tell you, tell you what while I uh, read this next next letter. Um, you can uh, see about looking that up,
1: and we'll just be surprised next episode,
0: uh, or we can do that as yeah. well. But of course, we've got a, a letter this time. <laughs> oh dear God! This one is from Matthew Epps, our 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 wonderful listener down under, and of course because because Russell Bragg is going to want me to read this in an Australian accent. Here it goes. The subject line is crikey. <laughs> Please don't hate me. Dear Michael and Sean, G'day. After listening to episode 20, I realized they haven't written in a while. I'm really enjoying your coverage of the Tangent books, as well as the books the Tangent characters have appeared in. First off, I loved listening to episode 13, in which you looked at Nightwing, Nightfalls. That book is the only book from the Tangent Runs that I don't own, so it was great to learn about how the ultra-humanite came into the Tangent Universe. I'm really looking forward to finding that book. God. <clears throat> <sighs> Secondly, in episode nineteen, I learned that the tangent characters appeared in the Just League of America number sixteen. Another book to track down. Cool. Uh, my commentary is don't don't feel that you have to track down. Yeah, that. don't
1: don't rush out for that
0: one. Yeah, that's nothing that you really have to get. Also, I never realized the reuse of dialogue from the previous tangent books in Iron number ten. I don't know why they did it, but it was a great catch. That was all on Michael, like so credit to you. Lastly, I. Oh God. <laughs> Lastly, I'm happy to see that you're continuing coverage of a tangent into the Superman's rain books. I might have a slightly different feel. Uh, sorry, it may have a slightly different feel since these stories aren't self-contained stories. But Rain was a great maxi series and deserved to be covered. I also loved in issue two where Wally did the silver age, silver age trick of slowing his descent by spinning his arms. I don't know for sure, but I think Dan and Jamal put this in to make a nod to the fact that Dan's inspiration for creating the Tangent characters came from Julius Schwartz and his revitalizing of comics in the Silver Age. If that's the case, then it was a nice touch. Thanks again for the great show, and keep up the good work, Matthew Adams. P.S. Crikey. That one's for you, Russell.
1: (laughs) Very good work, sir. Uh,
0: I'm certain Matthew is just... (laughs) Weeping to himself about how how poorly I butchered his his dialect. I'm sorry, but but you know I'm, I'm glad you're doing that. Like I said, I agree. The uh, the image of Wally sort of spinning his arms together to sort of slow his descent was a great Silver Age type ideal. Uh, you know, and that's more you think more of those things from the Barry Allen Flash because he was the one who always did those sort of trick moves and uh, vibrating himself through things. Wally was just sort of the run-really-fast character, you know, from the way I know him. But, yeah, that was a great, great aesthetic design to the book, and I, I enjoyed seeing that.
1: And I like that kind of stuff in, in comics, because it's it's just a fun little flair and a nice little touch that you can't do in a TV show or a movie. You know, you, you can't get, uh, what was his name, Grant Gustin, in the Flash TV show to, to spin his arms when he's falling and...
0: well. You know well to, to 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 its credit the uh, flash tv show has done some certain things like that Really, there's, yeah there's been that that's one of the great things that I'm that I love about the flash show and I'm looking forward to in the supergirl show is that they're embracing a lot of these comic tropes they're uh, in like the first uh episode of the flash show uh the flash has to contain a uh I can't remember what his name uh, it's not the weather wizard but it's a character who can create storms and the flash has to basically run in a circle counterclockwise to this tornado to stop it and there's been times where uh i think i think the character is the mist maybe hmm. there and is a, there
1: he, is a character um in the dcu uh, called the mist he
0: and, uh, well i don't know if it's specifically the mist but it's a person who can basically change into this sort of fog like mist okay poison gas type thing and the way barry uh contains him is he's running he's spiraling his arms really fast in circles to draw the mist into uh, a vortex basically and so they embrace they do embrace the comic book uh silliness for lack of a better word in the tv show and it's nice to see that that it's being done here in the comic book as well in the show and i think that's what that's one of the things that makes the flash tv show so enjoyable is this mm-hmm. they don't they don't shy away from the inherent fun that you'll get in the comic books right so very cool
1: but thank you for the email matt it- Very good to hear from you. Um, Matthew is host of the Armored Hero Steel, a John Henry Irons podcast, where he is looking at the 1990s Steel series uh, written by Louise Simonson, or at least uh, initially written by Louise Simonson. So be sure to check out Matt's show. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got one more email to take care of this time out, and it's from our frequent writer, Gene Hendricks, again, writing about uh, Superman's reign number three. And Gene writes, Michael and Sean... I like in this issue how we have a little bit of mystery as to where Wally West and Jon Stewart have gone. It's a little forced, in my opinion, to have Hal, Captain Smug Jordan, just come in and say, nope, they're not in this universe, and the leap that they're on the other Earth, rather than say, Quard, is a bit railroaded. Other than that, I like the League stuff in this one, especially Superman. On On the tangent side, it sounds like there's a good amount of drama. I like the idea that John is trying to avoid causing a war. All his experiences is, excuse me, all his experience is telling him to be cautious of this new world, because they don't want to upset what's going on. Wally, as you said, is more impulsive and would would want to jump in and take take down the bad guy, even with all the experience he has in his own title. This is this is because, at least for me, the Flash, regardless of who it is, has always been a, a more of a black and white hero. You're good or bad. That's it. It comes from being a lighter kind of comic, but we see that carry over to the t- into the TV show. Maybe they're padding a bit for the 12 issues, but it doesn't sound like this has too much filler in it. Gene. No, I. I go Sorry. ahead. No, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, yeah, I don't feel that they're necessarily padding, padding. it. Uh, Things tend to be moving along. They may not be moving on at a brisk of pace as they were at the beginning, but they're still progressing the story. There's not anything that where it's like, oh, we've got to bog down and spend an entire issue dealing with the uh, you know, you know, John being concerned over whether or not he should, you know, deal with the tangent characters or, you know, try and get them back to their own universe. Right. You know there 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 are things going on. It's just not quite as accelerated as it was at the beginning of the at the beginning of the story. Right,
1: and this isn't eleven and a half issues of Jim Lee drawing Superman talking to a priest. So,
0: <laughs> it, it doesn't sound that you're bitter about that in any way, shape, or form.
1: Well, you know, yeah, no. I have feelings.
0: <laughs> I but understand.
1: Anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, I like I said, I in in the the issue or the. The episode that Jean's talking about, I did like the um, the different portrayals of John and Wally and how they reacted to the the Superman's reign, and and we get a little more of that actually in this issue. Not to spoil ahead, but it it, it just shows that they're the Jerkins is writing in more character than just you know throwing these folks together and having them fight. Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah, he's gotten Jerkins has a good handle on all the characters. He knows that they're going to react differently and I'm glad that they put characters who have different mindsets who are able to look at what's going on right. and take in you know give a different opinion on what they should do to uh rectify the situation rather than just going okay we trust you we're gung ho with it
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know having having some counterbalance between the heroes is nice to have in the book
1: right and that's why it's good they brought in John First, rather than Hal, because Hal, I think, would have reacted differently than John, and Guy would have reacted <laughs> even, yeah. even differently than than Hal. So, uh, yeah, yeah, having it's good to have that contrast.
0: Yeah, having John is the introspective one, the one with the sort of the benefit of uh, you know this the sort of doubt behind him allows him to allows his turn to help out the. Members of the Tangent Universe, it it make it gives it more import. Mm-hmm. So,
1: but thank you very much, Gene, for writing in. Uh, be sure to check out all of Gene's shows uh, over at Two True Freaks, including uh, the Hammer Strikes, the Quantum Cast, Anime Freaks, Comic the- Book Fight Club. Comic Book Fight Club. I knew there was another one. Yep, yep. Uh, but that's it for emails this time. So, Sean, if you're ready, we're gonna go ahead and head into the issue. Let's do this. All right. We've got *Tangent Superman's Reign* number six, which has a cover date of October two thousand eight, and was released August twentieth of that year. Uh, cover price of two ninety nine, and our cover is by Matt Haley. And the story in su- which—did we have a Matt Haley cover before? Yeah, in fact,
0: the—I think in issue three that was the Joker. Oh, the
1: Joker and the Batman. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Okay. Yes. Uh, but turning inside, our story is titled Superman's Reign, Chapter 6. Credits are Dan Juergens' Writer, Jamal Igle Pencils, Robin Rigg's Inks, Steve Wan's Letters, Canilla Tripp Colors, Nachi Castro Editor, and the Tangent Universe created by Dan Jurgens. If you want someone to kick butt and take names, call Superman. But if you don't have time for all that polite taking name stuff, there's only one man to call. Batman. And that's exactly how we find the Dark Knight, as he batfoos his way through a pair of firestorm troopers while breaking into Google headquarters. I I, I mean, the core. (laughs) The ultimate data collection hub for Superman's regime. As Batman accesses the central control room, beaming surveillance images from every corner of the globe, we get a flashback to a discussion between Batman and the Tangent Universe Spectre, Plastic Man, and Green Lantern about the state of the Tangent Universe. The heroes want to bring down the Superman, but while Batman is reluctant to get involved, he knows they have to rescue the other heroes. Further conflicted by the obvious benefits of the Superman's rule, the Batman takes serious a wisecrack by the Spectre and swings off to investigate on his own. Back in the present, Batman meets Halo, a blind woman connected to the central computer. She tells Batman of the Superman's origin, the battle with the Ultrahumanite, and how it left the planet devastated, and how the Superman led the rebuilding effort in the aftermath of the battle, eventually taking over as a benevolent dictator. Batman asks about the fate of Harvey's wife Lola, but Halo falls silent, before finally saying Lola's fate is unknown to her, and that Power Girl is now the Superman's mate. She begins to inquire about Batman when their conversation is cut short by an intruder alarm echoing through the building. Back at the Spectre's apartment, the Tangent Universe heroes worry about the Batman's fate when they are contacted by Sir William, who tells them to gather everyone, including the newly arriving Hex and Lori Lamaris, for a coordinated strike. Lori is happy to see her friend still alive and wants to help, but grows angry when the Spectre hands her a Joker costume to rejoin the fight. Hex says if she wants to keep fighting, he has an idea, but Sir William tells him to hurry as things are going down at the core. Batman takes defensive action against a volley of firestorm troopers. He then takes out two, but is saved from a third by the timely arrival of the armor-clad Batman of the Tangent Universe. The two men fight side by side, but are soon cornered and outnumbered, causing the Tangent Batman to grab the DCU Batman and take to the skies, before being teleported by the Green Lantern to the castle. The stronghold's mystic nature keeps him hidden from the Superman's view, which means it's the perfect refuge for Sir William and his rebellion. Batman then meets the gathered heroes, including Green Lantern, Plastic Man, the Spectre, Hex, Pooch, and Lori Lamaris, now clad in the costume of the Manhunter, and is welcomed by Sir William to the Outsiders.
0: Well done, sir. Th- this, is, this is another this is return to the sort of shocker mm-hmm. uh, surprise ending that we really didn't get in the last issue. Yeah. You know, last issue we just got, Oh, plastic man's black. He's not dead. This one we get a really good reveal. And it's a nice image of a sort of melding of the secret six, as well as the uh, justice league together in the outsiders. I love that Batman is Batman of earth one or new earth, whatever it's being called right now is, you know, is brought in to meet the Outsiders, a group that he formed after splitting off from the Justice League.
1: Yeah. Um, and how do we not see this coming? Batman and the Outsiders.
0: Yeah. I, I, again, I think that's just the cleverness of Dan Jurgens bringing that into the book and mixing it up in this way. It's It, it just makes it fun. And yeah, I, I guess we should have known that if Batman being in the book, it would be Batman and the Outsiders, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me that I didn't see it coming. Um, a fun story. You get Batman kicking some butt. You get Batman being sort of skeptical of what's going on, but you also get Batman doing what he should be doing in the book rather than kicking butt. He's doing detective work. He's trying to figure out what exactly is going on in this universe, and right. he's he you know granted he went to yeah Google headquarters to figure it out, but. Uh, overall still still a good story
1: yeah definitely a good issue um, I said last time I was a little let down because I didn't think issue number five advanced the story maybe as much as it should but this one definitely did uh, we've got the heroes gathered together now Batman knows more about the world Lori's story has moved on to the next phase which I really want to talk about more later in the episode we had good emotion and good action and I am a little disappointed we didn't get anything with the Superman or or the the gathered heroes um, especially since the last time we saw them Superman had grabbed John's ring but um, overall just a really a really strong issue and a a fun cliffhanger and I think you know Jurgens is doing a really great job with the the endings of these issues to make you want to come back and read the next one
0: yeah, it's always difficult to to constantly, even with 17-page stories, to pull off cliffhanger and episode yeah. cliffhanger endings at each episode. So the fact that he's doing it and keeping them, keeping them well-written enough that you want to come back and pick up the next book is is a credit to Jurgens' writing, right? But uh, if that's all we have for uh, general notes, do you want to go ahead and take a break and yes. come back with specific ones? All right, we will be back right after this. <laughs>
2: Once, there was a civilization
3: In the endless reaches of the universe Much like ours There once existed a planet known as Krypton
2: But with greater intelligence
3: A planet that burned like a green star in the distant heavens Greater powers Their civilization was far advanced and it brought forth a race of supermen Whose mental and physical powers were developed to the absolute peak of human perfection
2: And a greater capacity for good
3: But there came a day when giant quakes threatened to destroy Krypton forever
2: In one tragic moment,
3: that world was destroyed one of the planet's leading scientists, sensing the approach of Doom, placed his infant son in a small rocket ship and sent it hurtling in the direction of the Earth just as Krypton exploded. But there was one survivor. A passing motorist found the uninjured child and took it to an orphanage.
2: Because of the wisdom and compassion of Jor-El. Because he knew the human race had the capacity for goodness, he sent us his only son. As the years went by and the child grew to maturity, he found himself possessed of amazing physical power. His name is kal Faster than a speeding bullet. He will call himself Clark Kent.
3: More powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single pound.
2: But the world will know him as Superman.
3: Look! Up in the sky, it's Superman! Join
2: Jay Marcus of the Povers and his special guest each month as they explore the history of the Man of Steel. Only on The Planet Podcast. Part of the Podwitz Podcast Network. Log on to superman.podwitz.com for details.
3: In February 2014, a new podcast dedicated to the Marvel Comics character, Adam Warlock, debuted. And the internet broke in half. Well, not really. Far from it, to be honest. a few of you actually noticed, and we thank you for that. Over the course of 2014, we covered all of Adam's Silver Age adventures, and have started on his Bronze Age Solo series, as well as his current appearance in two Thanos specials. But it's time for a change, so I'm sad to announce that Episode 20 will be the last episode of Resurrections, and Adam Warlock podcast. However... I am pleased to announce that in 2015, we will premiere the first episode, which we will call Episode 21, of Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Yes, the show is continuing, but now with more Thanos. Each month, we have John M. Wilson on as we cover an issue of Warlock, and the other episode of the month, we will continue to have Brian Zeno on to cover Thanos' appearances, starting with Captain Marvel 25. So join us in 2015 for Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Now with 20% more Thanos. All
0: right, we are back. And let's go ahead, uh, if you want to, we'll take a look at the cover. What do you think about this one?
1: All the characters look great. And I don't mind the idea of the cover, but other than that, I I think my criticisms of the cover lie almost completely with the graphic design and the coloring, both of which really distract from what is otherwise a strong piece of art. Mm -hmm. Because we've got this box here on the side that covers up half of John's face and the the pink and purple in the background, while it does get back to that trade dress idea, it it, it just looks really kind of garish, and it's bright, and it detracts from the main image of the three Green Lanterns, and I don't know. I feel like I've been really harsh on all of the covers for this series, except for the first one, but
0: – Yeah, I, I can agree with you. The The unfortunate thing is with the trade dress and the and the title, it does obscure a lot of the artwork. The artwork, I, I agree with you. It's not bad. Everyone looks, you know, looks good on the cover, but mm-hmm. it just doesn't come together as well as other covers.
1: Yeah, um, I don't have a problem with Matt Haley's part of the cover. I, I think he's a great artist, and he all four characters look great. It just the rest of it didn't really work to complement yeah. that the pencil work.
0: No, I agree with you there. Uh, moving on to the book again. Credit to Jamal Eagles' work. This is just uh, this page one is just a great image of Batman, basically just beating living snot out of <laughs> out of anyone who gets in his
1: ways. Did you have a problem with his pose on this first? Yeah, yeah
0: his, I thought you would. Yeah, his left leg does look a bit out of proportion, especially since his right leg is kind of behind. That one trooper, It. it, I mean, the thing is, it's very dynamic, but anatomically, he's in a way that his body shouldn't be. Right. But you can just knock it off to he's Batman, (laughs) and Batman can do whatever he wants. Yeah.
1: But it is a fun scene of him fighting his way into the core, and uh, I, I find it funny that two of the issues we've covered so far, two of the six, have started with Batman fighting his way into a building. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. This this time at least he's got some people to beat up yeah. rather than last time where he just, you know, smashed the you know, Yeah, kick, kicked kicked in doors. Had to throw the cape out to be cool looking. Yeah. And... Yeah, toss the cape, cross the arms. <laughs> uh. uh let's see page 3. We get this uh you know, like you said, the uh introduction of halo or the information core here and i was kind of wondering how this if this might be a parallel to the whole brother eye thing that happened uh, during uh, infinite crisis and all that or actually post infinite crisis
1: it's very similar yeah the sort of
0: global network uh monitoring everything on earth um you know,
1: they should have brought that up although batman doesn't really seem to have a problem with the surveillance so much Really, he doesn't really express any emotions at all throughout this ep- this, this issue. So,
0: well, you can, uh, you know, looking on page two as he enters the room, you can see that he's kind of shocked uh, by the immensity yeah. of all of this going on. But yeah, after that, he's pretty just matter of the fact, gathering information throughout all of this. I do, I do like uh, that we see in the beginning of this page. The flashback is kind of in that sort of dark blue to sort of distinguish it from yes. uh, what's going on there. I That's know, a nice. That visual visual way of telling what's going on
1: and the rounded panels too yep oh yeah there that's you go visual cue that they used to do more in like the, the 70s and 80s i think mm-hmm. i i thought the uh the specter without his hood was a nice touch
0: yeah he's got kind of it's not quite emperor palpatine or not emperor palpatine but sort of darth vader mm-hmm. it's got that sort of grayish look but having the scar over his eye—that's that's an interesting sort of design element to add to him that basically shows that he's aged and, you know, weathered and has had, had some scuffles that have affected him in some way. So I like that design element of him.
1: And like you mentioned two episodes ago with Dinah pulling her hair back before the fight, it's a natural moment They're They're home, so to speak, so they can relax for a moment. So why not be more comfortable and, you know, kind of take your costume off a little bit. Exactly. Um, and I also liked Pooch just laying there like a dog would. That was a nice little touch. Oh, yeah. But but as for the conversation itself, what, what did you think of Batman's stance here on, like, page three and four and five?
0: You know, his, his sort of inherent skepticism of it and his idea that, you know, you've created a, a utopia. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that... I don't know. I it's very pragmatic on batman's uh, part that he's like well this is this is a place that's more advanced than us it looks like everyone's you know doing well and i don't know i don't know if that would be how batman would want society to be if batman would be accepting of a society that would that in some way feels somewhat socialist
1: uh I kind of struggled with how to react to it because I think it's easy for me to sit here and say, you know, Batman's acting out of character, he's the hero, and and he should be opposed to this, but from the story perspective, he's only been on this world for a few hours and knows nothing about it except for what he's been told, Mm -hmm. And, and from what he's, sorry, from what he's seen, you know, they do have a lower crime rate, they have all this advanced technology, and maybe that's not so bad. But he's not blind. He knows that it's probably coming at a cost, and his gut is telling him that the Superman's not um, as benevolent as he seems. So, you know, it, I, I like that he says, you know, I'm going to go investigate this, and like with John a couple episodes ago, he's thinking with his head and not wanting more information before he acts. And I, I really like that Jergens is is giving us that layer of character and not just these black and white caricatures
0: yeah he's not looking at it and saying he's not looking at it and saying okay your life here is perfect you you've got an advanced civilization you're not worried about you know there's not you know from what you tell me there's not people suffering from high crime rates or from starvation that there's no wars going on why should i be concerned about having to take out the Superman. It sounds right. like he's doing the right thing here. He's actually looking into it himself and not just taking either side for granted. Right. And I, I like that as a character. I like that, uh, you know, Juergens has the Batman character down. He wouldn't just look at one side or the other and go, okay, this is what I need to do. Right. So, now, yeah, I, I, I like it. And, you know, In essence, I think Batman wouldn't be opposed to a world where there is no crime, where there is no starvation, where he would like this. But he would like to know at what the cost the world came – or the world had to go through to get to this situation. Right. And he's going to uh, find out on his own, obviously. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think if if we can relate back to other stories we've had with the character, I think he would want people to – be able to make up their own mind about stuff. You know, he given the way he reacted with the whole uh mind wiping stuff, you know, which is what led to the the creation of uh, the Brother Eye satellite and all that and it led into Infinite Crisis and all that. Yes. So I don't know, it's just it's a, it's it's a well-written piece of uh character there, I think.
0: Definitely, definitely. Uh
1: but moving on to page 6, all that said though, the way Batman approaches Halo is a bit odd. He he doesn't know anything about her, and he just walks up and starts asking questions. And this is the central hub of, of knowledge and surveillance. You'd think he'd be a little more stealthy about it. but
0: Well, and... Yeah, I kind of do have to agree with you. You would think that he'd be... Somewhat skeptical of what 's going on here i mean he 's been skeptical of everything that 's been going on prior to this. why the central information hub of superman 's universe he just go start asking questions and take them for granted, right, especially when the uh, central information hub is manned by this sort of wide eyed african american female and you don't exactly know what her what her involvement in all of this is. And I'm I'm kind of wondering once once we get to the end of the conversation and uh Batman asks about Superman's wife and uh Halo kind of goes silent for a moment. I was kind of wondering, is this supposed to be Superman's wife? Is this supposed to be Lola here? Oh, See, I, I, like I said, since I haven't read ahead, could the fact that the disappearance or the quote unquote supposed death of Superman's wife being just a smokescreen? And she, she was,
1: she was white, wasn't she? But then they showed her as black in that backup strip.
0: Yeah, I'm trying. You know, hmm. I'm trying to remember. You know, it's been so long since I've read the Superman. But you know, uh, maybe this, maybe this is just me misremembering things.
1: Hmm. But. uh yeah, she was white in the original issue. Okay. But then in the backup strip from issue number 3 or sorry, issue number 4, she was black. So hmm.
0: Hmm. Well, well, maybe this is just, you know, maybe this is just me reading too much into it, but I I like that scene where at, at the end of it, you know, Batman asks about, you know, the Superman's wife and she gives there's a bit of pause to her, and she doesn't tell him anything about it when she's been pretty much up forth and forthright about everything else delivered to Batman throughout the uh, throughout the scene. Hmm.
1: But something is going on here um, because the story that Halo tells is significantly different from what we learned in that backup strip in issue number four, mm-hmm. because there. There, they indicated that Superman took on the, the Ultra Humanite alone on the moon, sparing Earth from being destroyed. Where here, we're told that Superman led the gathered heroes against the Ultra Humanite and their battle, had a lot of casualties and a lot of destruction. Also, in that backup strip, we were told that Lola's death was the instigator for Superman's takeover, but here, it seems like he, read, he led the rebuilding efforts and was slowly either given more power or took more power, eventually leading to dismantling governments and just taking over entirely. So are, are these... The, these seem like pretty big discrepancies to be oversights, and the only thing I can figure is that Batman's being fed a line here because the way Halo tells the story, it does paint the Superman in a much more... a much better light.
0: Yeah, I, I have to agree so. with you there. It's, it, it, and you would think that if this is the central information hub that Superman has designed to to gather all this information and compile it, that it would try and paint a positive picture of the Superman right. rather than actually give the true information. Mm-hmm. Plus, again, uh, in the backup strip, Guy Gardner may be gathering this information and like a lot of conspiracy theory people, his information may not be completely and wholly correct
1: mm-hmm. so well, that's a good point too With so some, you, something's definitely up and i don't I don't know what it is
0: yeah well there's there, there's always you know there's his story her story and somewhere in the middle there's the truth right so uh after that i really don't tell what i have um i got to the page where we get back to the uh, penthouse apartment and mm-hmm. we're Dealing with uh, the Spectre and Green Lantern, and this is where I actually found out that the uh, the mystical orb was actually Sir William, the uh, character. Me too. Yeah, uh, and it was like like we said last issue. I had no idea who that character was, and it was not until here that he was mentioned to be Sir William. I went, oh, well, that finally makes some sense now.
1: I, I guess we were just supposed to know. I, I yes,
0: yeah, see, know. see, the thing was. From the Batman issue, even though a lot of the backup stuff was dealt with uh, Sir William and his dealing with the uh, Arthurian knights, I, I specifically thought more of the Batman. I guess I'm, I was also kind of taken by that, that beautiful rendering of the Batmans crashing through the plate grass – or not the plate grass, the stained glass window that – was just so wonderfully drawn that I just kind of forgot about the secondary characters but mm-hmm. yeah but it's nice to know that uh, Sir William is having some dealings with the rest of the characters and being that his I his uh, modus operandi is kind of magical in origin would allow him to sort of shade himself from the Superman I guess
1: yep so uh, who haven't we seen yet Sea Devils we have, haven't Wonder seen Woman, Sea
0: Devils Wonder Woman
1: and most of most of
0: nightwing i guess yeah we haven't seen uh the members of nightwing that were sort of sucked in the ultra humanite right uh gravedigger uh uh, the doom patrol we haven't seen so whether or not we're going to get those characters in there uh, it'd be interesting um i'd like to see them but uh, so far what what i've seen of the characters they've they've taken advantage of them really well and, I mean, taking advantage of them in, in, in a way that they they put them in the story well and allowed them to you know compellingly work in the story. Right.
1: Um, page 11, I feel like this reunion between Laurie and the Spectre and Plastic Man should have been a lot more joyous. Mm-hmm. And it might have been a matter of space, but I, I don't get the impression at all that it's been more than just a few hours since they've seen each other. Yeah. Um, but we did get more great uh, emotion from Igles' art, especially that middle strip. And then the first panel in the bottom row. As, yes. As we go from happiness to uh, Laurie's just outrage at the idea of putting the Joker costume on again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Igle does – like I said, he does some ma- amazing facial expressions in the, those two panels in the middle where she's shocked about the Joker uniform and then immediately turns to anger. Yeah. That, that he's trying to get her back in that after all that she's suffered and all that she's went through. So I – I, I I can't commend Eigel enough in this book, and and even moving over to the next page, I guess page twelve, where mm-hmm. we see her, you know, dealing with the emotions of it and her getting all teary eyed. It's just you know again, Eigel does a great job with showing the expressions of these characters and mm-hmm. getting them down really well.
1: I feel like this bottom panel, after the bottom panel, there was probably a super awkward conversation that went something like. Sorry, Lori, I know you don't want to wear this outfit because your best friend died wearing it. But here, put on this outfit that your other friend died wearing. <laughs> oh, oh, you didn't know Manhunter died? Yeah, Manhunter died because your best friend was resurrected by Green Lantern and convinced us to free the Adam who is really Power Girl. Now, go put on our clothes. <laughs>
0: My, my hope it was a spare costume, and they didn't have to. Uh, uh, they didn't have to take the costume off the Manhunter. Uh, I'm hoping it's a spare costume because well, it,
1: it would have to be because I think.
0: Oh yeah, because issue, I
1: think the 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 Manhunter's body was left in the cemetery.
0: That's true. Yeah, the, it was
1: because it was just Green Lantern, Batman, and Pooch that were able to get out.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. It was uh, her her costume was left there with a uh, Wally West lying on black Canary's <laughs> like i said you know if it's if it's a place that you can fall and pass out on it's a good place to be um so then
1: we get <laughs> back to the core
0: yes we get back to the core and the tangent batman shows up and, oh, and another just amazing mm-hmm. splash page there. so good and looking at these two very disparate characters you know the the sort of red and the blue actually the, it's a nice contrast there and yeah the, the the characters look great. Yes, of course, the uh the tangent Batman is being a bit more um violent in his yeah, as he slices a a person's chest open. Again, I think Eichel does a good job with the violence. It's not it's not the gusher of blood that we saw right. in the uh, uh first issue, but it's it's just a really dynamic scene on this page.
1: My note for this page was no 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 Batman
0: oh uh, it's fun it is absolutely fun watching these two guys just take people down
1: oh yeah and even when they get to the next page as they get basically cornered you know it's how much fun is this I I could have done with an entire issue of of bat the two Batman's just fighting side by side it, it mm-hmm. would have been awesome
0: oh yeah and uh, like I said igel does a good job of of keeping the artwork entertaining you know keeping it uh, and not let it get, get too gory. There's a bit here at the top of the page where the Batman slices someone, but them standing around with their backs to the wall with these dozens and dozens of firestorm mm-hmm. troopers getting ready to attack them in a circle and them just not giving up until they realize that you know, they're surrounded and they fly off. It's, right. it's spectacular.
1: Yeah. The gore is fairly tame given other books that were out at the time. So I, I, I could do without it, but I'm I'm willing to begrudgingly accept it. I guess.
0: Well, it, it, the fact that the uh, tangent Batman is attacking with an actual sword, you've got to assume that there's right. going to be a bit of gore. But it's not like heads being lopped off and you know arms and someone trying to hold back their cut off arm. You know, it's it's not it, it's not despicably violent. So I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: the last thing I had was. On the last page, just again, how did we not see this coming with exactly in the outsiders um, a, a good cliffhanger ending, and um I like the little touch in the art on the last page with pooch's tail. it's wagging
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> I love that. I didn't even catch that. that's awesome yeah this this is great, you know, like I said, I kind of figured that this would have to be. Lori in the Manhunter costume. Mm-hmm. I wonder how this is going to progress.
1: Oh, I guess we don't know that for sure. Technically. Well, I guess, Spoiler. you know, we've, we've got to
0: kind of assume. Yeah. I, I mean, it's pretty
1: obvious. Yeah. yeah. I mean. But uh,
0: it'll be interesting to see why she took on the Manhunter role. Now, I guess there is a change. The Manhunter's hair uh, in previous issues was a sort of red ponytail right. type thing. This looks a bit, I don't know whether that's...
1: Well, it's black. That's what. Yeah, it looks black. Dark. Yeah.
0: So there you go. Maybe it was her hair stuck out the back, put into the ponytail thing. But yeah, this is again, this is fun. Batman and the Outsiders. I don't know why we didn't catch it, but yeah, this this is a good ending to the story. It again makes me want to pick up the next issue. Mm -hmm.
1: But before we get to that, we have uh, a backup strip, which is History Lesson, Chapter Six, and credits are Ron Mars, writer. Fernando Pesarin... Pesarin? Pesarin. How, how have we been saying that? Uh, I
0: I think I've said Pesarin. Piss, okay. Anyway, I don't
1: know. Fernando Pesarin pencils, Mark McKenna inks, Dom Regan colors, Steve Wan's letterer, and Nachi Castro editor. Holding true to his word, Guy refuses to tell Jenny about the Green Lantern. However, after some encouragement in the form of a gun pointed at his temple... Guy relents, saying he doesn't know much, mostly just rumors and hearsay. He tells of a trio of possible origins for the Lantern, and relates how other stories have said the Lantern itself acts as a conduit to other universes, even getting stuck in another universe for a time, before returning and restoring the Green Lantern's power. Satisfied, Jenny puts Guy at ease, assuring him that she's not working for the Superman. In fact, she says, nothing could be farther from the truth, as she's part of a movement working to depose the self-called benevolent dictator, and that Guy is going to help. That's it.
0: Very good. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, this is essentially just sort of a recap of the Tales of the Green Lantern story from the second wave. Uh, It also has bits and pieces from the Ion storyline that we covered in episode 19. Uh, Again, the artwork is good. I'm tr- I'm looking at the page where we've got the lantern there to see if I can see any names on the tombstones. Don't really see anything in specific. Oh, like
1: the three quarter splash? Yeah. No, I there's it's just squiggles.
0: Okay. You
1: know, 'cause usually they put
0: like something mm-hmm. you know, some sort of beast rag in there.
1: Uh but I, I yeah, I've been really impressed with the art. Even though he's not Altering his style from issue to issue, he's done a good job of illustrating the variety of characters that we got in the Tangent universe and making them look cohesive without losing their individual feels.
0: Mm-hmm. I will say, however, on uh, page four of the story, where we get uh, where we get the uh, reference to the Ion story. Oh right. We get it's obviously Kyle as Ion jumping out of the uh, chest of the Green Lantern there, but in that third panel. That looks more like Hal holding the lantern than it does Kyle, at least to me. Mm. So, uh, you know, that's my only nitpick because it was Kyle who was the one who, you know, took the lantern back to the JLA headquarters Mm -hmm. in the in the story. So, Mm. but other other than that, yeah, it's a good art. It's a nice recap of what happened in the uh, Tales of the Green Lantern book, Uh, and it's a nice progression of the story. And we finally figure out that. Jenny and Guy are supposedly going to be working to take down the change at Superman. So
1: yep. there you go. Yeah, they continue to serve their purpose, but as I think we said, they just they don't lend to a lot of in-depth discussion because they that's not their purpose. They're just filling in stuff for people who are jumping onto this series cold. So yeah, they're
0: they're they're basically like a, a very. Visually interesting Wikipedia entry. You know, <laughs> they're they're there to to fill you in if you don't know what's going on, and uh, they're there to make sure that the story proper doesn't get bogged down in right. and, in and, and their part, and they do their part. So. But uh, if you – do you have anything else you want to talk about about the I
1: issue? I think I'm done.
0: OK. Well, that's going to be it for now. Uh, here in a couple of weeks, we'll be moving on to Tangent Superman's Reign number 7. Uh, it's a brand new artist. Unfortunately, Jamal Igel is gone of this issue uh, and we'll be looking at new artists. Of course, Dan Jurgens is still writing. Ron Mars will still be doing the backups. And we'll be seeing where where things go with Batman and The Outsiders. Mm-hmm. But until then, if you'd like to write into the show, you can write in at tangent at greatcrypton.com. We'd love to read your emails on the next episode. And and if Mad Epps writes in, I'll do my really awful Australian accent and offend an entire continent. Plus, you can also go to the Great Krypton website and leave uh, leave comments at the show postings. And if you'd like to, you can go to iTunes and give us a rating on there. We'd love to read an iTunes rating. And of course, iTunes ratings uh, increases the... uh, increases the i guess the uh q rating of the show i don't know (laughs) is that even a thing i probably not (laughs) maybe (laughs) but but thank you all for downloading and listening we really appreciate you doing it it's always great to do the show and to hear uh, feedback from people so we will be back in two weeks with another episode of parallel lines the dc comics tangent universe podcast bye everyone
1: bye everybody We've just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me,
0: Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes.
1: It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review maybe even a five-star one every review helps more people find out about the show
0: the show is also on facebook where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted plus images plot elements and general discussion about the books can be found there as well
1: want to send feedback about the episode send us an email at tangent at great all feedback is warmly welcomed and we will definitely read your comments on the show
0: when Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman.
1: And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com.
0: Speaking of 2 True Freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at 2 After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the 2 True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters.
1: Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast.
0: Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names.
1: Special thanks to Gene Hendricks for this episode's intro. Check out Gene's blog at thehammerstrikes.com for all kinds of geek-related musings. Gene also can be heard on The Hammer Podcasts as well as the Quantum Cast, Anime Freaks, Comic Book Fight Club, and various other shows, all of which can be found at twotruefreaks.com.